As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson atop Keenan Stadium. Uh, Matt Fortuna is socially distanced in Chicago at his house, and we're joined by special guest Brendan Marks, who is socially distanced, I think, one coaching booth away from me. I'm recording from the booth where Clark Lee and Tommy Reese uh, put together just a really, really impressive game plan, I thought, for Notre Dame in this 31-17 win. And, Brendan, let's start with you. You were here from a, a, a North Carolina point of view and you sort of seen this offense really shred just about everybody. What I mean, what did you take away from Notre Dame's defensive performance today against Sam Howell? Yeah, so, you know, since Mac Brown and Sam Howell have, have been back in Chapel Hill together, this is the fewest points uh, that they have scored. This is the first time that they've ever lost the game by more than one touchdown. You know, this is the fewest yards UNC has had since last year against Clemson, so, you know, another elite opponent. And, and Really, I think I have not seen Sam Howe as flustered tonight as he was. You know, I think the pressure that Notre Dame was able to get on him, uh, UNC's offensive line has been in flux all year, but he felt like his internal clock was completely off. And, you know, he just said in his postgame Zoom with reporters, I never got in any sort of rhythm. Um, and I think that really showed. I think that Notre Dame's defensive front just completely stifled any time and, and peace of mind that he had. And as a result, you know, he ends up with one of his worst performances yet as a Tar Heel. I was going to ask, and I'm assuming we would have known this by now. You would have known this by now. I'm watching that fourth quarter, and you know the stats coming in about how he's on the fourth quarter, how North Carolina's on the fourth quarter. Notre Dame's playing better, but kind of letting North Carolina hang around. And I think we're all kind of you know holding our breath, waiting for this explosion. And like, it looked like they didn't even attempt a downfield pass in the fourth quarter. I mean, was he hurt? Like, the, like he said his rhythm was off. I'm watching that. Like something is off here. Like it's got, there's got to be more to it. And I say that with all due respect to Notre Dame's defense, which played his tails off, tail off right. fourth quarters. There. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't think the Sam Howell's hurt. I do think that Deami Brown, who had you know that that deep reception that set up UNC's uh, one yard touchdown run that Sam Howell had in the first quarter, I, I do think that he was sort of nursing his shoulder. I think when he came down with that deep pass in the first quarter, he sort of tweaked it a little bit. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, I, I think it was much more just the fact that 
you know, to have those deep passes throughout this season, UNC has had to do so by establishing the running game early in downs and then popping a play action. They had to almost completely abandon the play action because of the pressure that was immediately coming from so many different angles. And Sam Howell said there wasn't anything specific that, that they did differently that they hadn't already seen on tape from Notre Dame. I think it was just a more matter of Notre Dame's defensive line was more physical than UNC's offensive line. And Sam Howell didn't feel like he had the time or the, you know, the, the energy really to continually try and take these shots and just keep getting blasted. You know, six sacks. Um, Mac Brown said quarterback shouldn't be harassed like that. No, he shouldn't. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to come back from that. You know, Brendan, when we did sort of our roundtable during the week, I thought one of the, 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 re, the biggest reason I thought Notre Dame was going to win is because they were better on both lines. But I think they were better. The, the margin in that difference between the lines was more than I thought it was going to be. And I thought, you know, Notre Dame's defensive line is not it's not a loaded group. It's an old group. It's a talented group, but there's not like, there's not a Julius Peppers hiding in Notre Dame's defensive line. Um, but I just, I was so impressed with how they got after Howell. And I, I don't know if that was something you felt like North Carolina wouldn't have anticipated. Cause that's not really something Notre Dame has done to a lot of teams this year. Well, the one thing that I thought was interesting was when UNC was having offensive success, it wasn't in the running game. They basically were supplementing the running game with those swing passes, which is something that they've done earlier this season, too. They're getting mm-hmm. those shifty, speedy guys out in space on the perimeter. And, you know, you, you saw Michael Carter, Daz Newsom. I mean, they're breaking. They, they make one guy miss, and boom, they're gone. They're getting 10 or 15 yards. It was more, I think, a matter of UNC's offensive line. Again, when I say influx, we're talking – uh, the right tackles miss games. The centers miss games. Uh, There's left tackle to start the season, barely played tonight. They ended up moving their left guard to left tackle and had their backup left guard come in there. So, you know, it's a unit that hasn't been great all year, but but just when you're playing a team that was that experienced, that veteran, it's not an old group. Um, I, I just really think they let the, the pressure and the moment and physicality get to them. Notre Dame entered today number four nationally in rush defense. They held Travis Etienne to, I think, 33 yards um, a couple weeks ago. And they go out tonight and, you know, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. Carter at 57, mostly on that long 26-yard run uh, in the first quarter. Williams, 28 yards on 11 carries. I mean, just a phenomenal performance all the way around from that unit. Uh, I mean, what what really, Brendan, what surprised you about today? I mean, the physicality was was probably, like as Pete said, bigger than we expected coming in. But um, especially, you know, with the way that game started, I mean, I wrote this down, the live game over under after the first quarter was 83 and a half, <laughs> which was almost double what it ended up being. Yeah, 48. I mean, Brendan and I were sitting next to each other and we're like, all right, we're, we're getting what we paid for here. If, if we happen to be one of those people who paid to be here. Right. I was feeling, I was feeling really good about my 41 38 prediction after the first quarter. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, something you touched on Matt. Sam Howell's always made it happen in the fourth quarter and relying on that, you know, I think the, the margin Pete and I were talking about it, you know, since he's been in Chapel Hill, UNC's plus 144 in scoring margin in the fourth quarter. He's thrown 17 touchdowns and no picks. Um, so he always just seems to make it happen. And, and for some reason, UNC fans seem to think that this is something that is so easy. It's commonplace. He can do this reliably. Of course it was going to happen against, you know, one of the top-ranked defenses. And, and I think the fact that, you know, he, he, he didn't take those deep shots, but he was missing too. By the end of the game, I think that he was a little bit rattled. Um, you know, he missed one of those intermediate crossing routes to De'Ami Brown. He threw a couple of those swing passes a little bit high. Um, I, I think the most surprising thing to me was that Sam Howell wasn't able to do a little bit more. And, and that probably speaks more to the unrealistic expectations on him than it does for the live game scenario. Because at, at no point after the first quarter did I feel like UNC was going to win this game. I don't know about you two. 
Yeah, it's, Matt and I were talking about this before we hit record. I, I felt like at halftime Notre Dame was going to win, uh, and then in the in the second half there wasn't a there even when uh, Jonathan Dorr missed that sort of chip shot field goal. I'm not sitting there thinking about well North Carolina is going to solve Notre Dame here for the first time and since the the opening minutes and, and come down and drive it. I thought. You know, one of the things we talked about in our roundtable is like, yeah, North Carolina's defense was pretty bad. Like, they had some real issues. And they held it together for a while. Uh, in the end, Notre Dame finishes with 478 yards. Um, I thought Book, based on the post-game pressers with both him and Brian Kelly, came into this game well aware that people viewed Sam Howell as much, much better than him. Um, and played with that kind of angst uh, to his game. But I, I just thought, you know, for a game where Notre Dame only scored 31 points, I thought offensive coordinator Tommy Reese had a, a really nice game as well. I thought the the end around to Ben Skoranek that I asked Brian Kelly about, that he gave me some crap about, uh, was was very good. Um, and there was some real creativity, I think, the way Reese attacked North Carolina. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, knowing that UNC has struggled all year against scrambling quarterbacks, you know, Ian book was like their walking nightmare. I mean, he was going to abuse them in that regard. And he did. I mean, how many times were there that he was doing those, you know, 15 yard scrambles backwards and, you know, Chad Surratt, who's an athletic guy, he's probably going to be a first, you know, second round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. I mean, he's close, but he's not getting there. I'm that crazy, whatever we got to come up with a name for that backhanded pass. We we, we have to trademark that or something. Um, (laughs) On that, I mean, I mean, Chaz Surratt's hitting him as he's throwing. So um, I, I think that Book's ability to extend drives, extend plays, um, I think that was really the difference for Notre Dame's offense. And also, you know, we, we got to talk about that fourth down play. I mean, I think that completely, you know, flipped some of the momentum in Notre Dame's way. UNC is looking at potentially getting the ball back in decent midfield-ish uh, position. And, you know, that's, that's an egregious mistake. Mac Brown said everyone in the entire stadium knew it was going to happen. Okay, well, then why did you make that error? So I, I think that, um, yeah, but completely credit to Tommy Reese, credit to, to Ian Book. Um, U, UNC's defense played as well as it could, and it just wasn't good enough. They were better. I, I love Notre Dame lining up to go for it then um, because it's at that point in the game, it's early enough where you're thinking you need to steal every possession you can get. Um, you know, that, that's a North Carolina defense, as we've said before, is not exactly the steel curtain. I mean, even if you're not going to run a play there, you line up, you, you made him into a mistake like you did. And that's on the heels of a pass interference call at the end of the second quarter that, that helped them get into better field goal range. Um, it's funny you talk about e-book scrambling ability. I mean, especially on that that dump off to Kyrie Williams for a touchdown. Chris Fowler asks, is there anyone better at backpedal? Anyone else in college football backpedal it? faster than Ian Buck, which is like the most backhanded slash really right. good compliment <laughs> I've ever heard of a player ever. And then uh, Kirk Herbstreit adds saying um, he's a point guard that just happens to be playing on grass, which is pretty much, I think, the other end of the spectrum of Joey Galloway saying Northwestern's a bunch of Reese Davises if we want to play that card here. Like that's <laughs> that's going the completely other way. Um, but but to your point, I mean, the guy, you know, early on in that game, especially in, you know, we, Pete mentioned, you know, you can tell that you know, they didn't shy away from it, but clearly you know, they came in thinking, all right, the sophomore's not better than our three-year starter. Um, North Carolina marches down those first two drives, and I'm already, like, dreading the text I'm going to get from neurotic Notre Dame friends I had saying, like, why can't we ever have a five-star? And, I mean, in the moment, it's hard not to think that because Sam Howell made some pretty incredible plays early on, but uh, when you have a team like like this one, a, a veteran team, um, a team starting two new guys on the offensive line, uh, you know, I, 
Brian Kelly's not called me your P out in the press conferences anymore, probably because we're like the Ian Book Apology Podcast, because he just seems to make something out of nothing all the time. And I thought the first half today, maybe more than at any times in his career, he made chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? The thing that impressed me a lot about him was some of the other uh, more mobile quarterbacks that UNC has played this year. You know, I, I really think about Jordan Travis down at Florida State. You know, he's, he's scrambling, but he's not looking for something downfield. You know, he's scrambling. He's, he's calling his own number. Um, Ian Book, not doing that. I mean, he's – I think he very much understands his role on this team. You know, you could tell that he understands if I don't make mistakes, if I get the ball to these guys, we are big enough, strong enough, fast enough and physical enough that we're going to eventually wear people down and there are very few teams in the country that can hang with us if i don't screw us over and and i think that um you know he he just played so smart and there were you know that that backhanded pass it was the ultimate no 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 yes play (laughs) i mean i I can't get over that unc uh unc twitter is irate about that play um but yeah i mean i think ian book he played better than sam howell tonight i don't think that in the long span of their careers where they go i don't think that's going to be the case but um he certainly played his role better than Sam Phillips has tonight, and I don't think that um, I would have expected it to be quite as you know disparate as it ended up being. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The the ability for Book to scramble to throw has it's something that was in his game, I think two years ago a lot we saw, and then it it almost sort of like went away or it was de-emphasized or I'm not really sure what happened to it last year or at the beginning of this year, but it is really to me the he's a really good runner, but I think he's even better as a scrambler to throw and mobility behind the line of scrimmage because I mean God that's just got to be incredibly frustrating for a defense when he can turn a broken play into a first down. I think you saw that, you know, not only in the flip to Mayer, but there are a bunch of other occasions to that as well. And I thought that's sort of how Notre Dame came out in the first half or or really on their first drive, even though it like sputtered out immediately. And it just, it seemed like Notre Dame was smart enough to look at North Carolina's tape and be like, hmm, mobile quarterbacks. Doesn't seem to go very well for them. We've wait, we've got one, we've got one and he could throw. So I, yeah, that's sort of where the I think the Reese Ian Book mind meld comes into play most is they really knew what North Carolina's weakness was and how to and how to expose it really from the get go and they they just never stopped. And and the other thing I would add to that too is you know Notre Dame I think was smart enough too offensively and you know maybe this is recent it probably stems down to the individual players too I'd assume but when he's extending those plays UNC doesn't have the defenders to hang for four five six seconds in coverage. And you see these defensive holdings. You see the DPIs. I mean, I think the one, the, the DPI right before 
uh, halftime was was probably a holding and not a DPI instead. But say, you know, same thing. It, it achieves the same effect. UNC couldn't hang that long. You know, even if Book is not completing some of those passes, he would have gotten a second chance because of the penalties. So, um, you know, it was really like he had he he had an ace up his sleeve in that respect. But yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed with him. Um, of all of the opposing passers that UNC faced this year, he has um, he has now surpassed his his former teammate in Boston College as the most impressive that UNC's faced. Two <laughs> <laughs> straight games where we're uttering some version of that sentence. Yeah. Um, you guys were in the building. What is the mood? What are you two feeling? What's the mood in the place as North Carolina is driving, about to kick a field goal to go up, and the best player on Notre Dame's defense gets ejected from targeting on a third and twenty? I the first thing I thought about was Virginia Tech two years ago when Julian O'Quara got ejected for targeting right before halftime in an ACC road game that w- that was tense and tight, and it just I don't know it just, that was the first thing that came to mind. But Ryan Willis and Sam Howell are like. They play the same position, but that's about the only thing that they do that is similar. Um, it was, I think it was tense for, from Notre Dame's point of view because we've seen Houston Griffith and DJ Brown really struggle. They're backup safeties. Um, and Houston Griffith did miss a tackle almost immediately um, on a play that was going to the left, sort of out into the flat. And you're like, oh boy, you know, this is maybe not like second quarter of the Cotton Bowl bad in terms of losing a key player on your secondary, but this might go sideways. But then it just I – w- I guess one of the things that shocked me most is, like, North Carolina was never really able to, like, probe that. It's not like DJ Brown and Houston Griffith made a ton of plays. They made some. Uh, I want to give them credit for that. But it's not like they had to defend 15 passes in the second half. It's like North Carolina couldn't even figure out a way – to take advantage of that or at least see if they could and that that really surprised me yeah I, th- I think you know Pete you mentioned that first play after Hamilton was ejected I think that was you know that was what UNC fans wanted to see more of and I think the question was why why didn't you try and expose that again and you know we've we just talked about this but you know the running game wasn't working Javante Williams who you know led the nation in touchdowns coming in I think had you know easily his worst game of the season. It wasn't particularly close. I, I thought there were a number of times when he's you know almost stopped grinding his legs. Um, but rather than trying to go back to getting those guys in space, rather than going back to those screens and those swing passes, UNC kept just trying to to pound it inside, and they kept getting just destroyed at the line of scrimmage. And and I didn't understand why they didn't try and um, you know take more advantage of Hamilton losing because I think you know after that first play the. F- First play after he's caught after he's tossed, UNC says, "Oh wow, look look what we just did," and then they completely didn't try and go for it again the rest of the game. I was I was very surprised at how sudden they abandoned that and and really went back to something that hadn't worked the entire game. I'm interested to know what Matt thought watching it on TV if it seemed as consequential in the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, at, at seeing the way that game was unfolding, certainly you're, you're thinking it's going to be a shootout, and you're thinking Notre Dame's chances of, of hanging in a shootout become a lot worse when the best player on the field is out. Um, I mean, it, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't as dismissive, if you will, of North Carolina as Pete was, who also called him Ryan Wilson. I believe it's Ryan Willis from Virginia. I said, I don't know. A couple of years ago. It's okay. I don't know if it's worth remembering at this point, but um, I, I just, I never got those Virginia Tech came by the same um, kind of internal vibe as you did where like, you know, they're messing around. Like, they'll get through this. Dexter Williams breaks off a long touchdown, and that's that. Like, uh, I, I thought Notre Dame's long 97-yard drive was, like, a statement drive to be like, all right, like, 
you're not going to get rid of us that easily. The longest uh, TD drive for Notre Dame since the Dexter Williams that, drive. That was <laughs> barely a drive. Not to, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, a great right. run by Dexter, but um, but then they missed the field goal, and I'm like, you know, I just keep, you know, I wrote about North Carolina's offense this week, so maybe that's fresh in my memory, but I'm repeating myself those um, fourth quarter stats, and I'm just like, you got to get separation here. You got to put these guys away at some point. They're too good to. I mean, they're not Clemson level good, but like the Clemson game, you knew like. You let them hang around. Clubs is going to either win this or force overtime, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened. Um, and I just thought they needed to do more in that third quarter. Um, and they didn't. And they didn't really need to because that defense held up, which the Clark Lee Appreciation Podcast rolls on. Pete, you should – now that I'm w- w- looking at you in the coach's box, you should just wear a mask and try to walk in there next game. <laughs> I mean, who's going to know the difference at this point? Rodding out my shoulders just a little bit. Yeah, you've already gotten mistaken for him uh, on Twitter. Got, yeah, like, I've got Notre Dame defense game day drawings. I've got the, the, the sheet right here. Unfortunately, it's blank, so there's no great, no great insight to be had. I got the pom poms. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, where that will get either of you guys. Yeah, yeah. it's – you know, it's interesting. So – you know, Matt, we've been on a bunch of BK post-game calls or press conferences, and a lot of time when you ask them about coaches specifically, I find it to be somewhat deferential to like, you know, hey, it's everybody, it's the players, it's all, I've it's great coaching staff, uh, and he was he was all in about like Lee and Reese were at the top of their game, and like I want to give credit to the players because they. They took the game plan and they executed the game plan, but he must have mentioned five or six times, like, I loved our game plan tonight. Yeah, I mean, so that 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 struck me because it's not, you know, once again, Reese got the better of Brent Venables three weeks ago. Um, Clark Lee's been sort of getting the better of everybody else. But, I mean, this was, this was a big test, and I thought both the coordinators passed. And it's not, I mean, it's interesting. You look... Longo is obviously a very talented OC, but then Bateman, North Carolina's DC, was in like under consideration at Notre Dame at least uh, when they had an opening a few years back coming out of Army. And like, I, yeah, I, I'm sort of I'm running out of superlatives to talk about this coordinator pair. I just think that they they really have been one of the best in the country, um, and certainly one of if not the best in the ACC this year in particular. It's interesting. It's in, sorry. It's it's interesting you mentioned. It from the Notre Dame perspective, because from the UNC side, Mac Brown and everyone, Sam Howell, they all said we felt like we had the right game plan. And mm-hmm. Max and Max said after the first quarter, I thought we were going to win the game. At halftime, I thought we were going to win the game. Um, so he he differs you from you dramatically there, Pete. Uh, <laughs> He's much more of a Matt Fortuna type guy. He is <laughs> my uh, Facebook buddy. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know they thought that they could really throw it against the secondary they thought that they could hit some more of those deep shots like they did in the first quarter and um, like why did they try more <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> because I, you know again i think it just they, they got so overwhelmed on the offensive line but yeah no not taking more shots uh, i think really got to be it, it was so egregious by the fourth quarter especially when you're in some of these they were in so many second and third and longs i mean I, I would have to go back through and count it, but I would be shocked if there were more than two drives where they were in, in second and under five. Um, I mean, whether it was a penalty because they, they seemed to basically be giving those away for free. It was Oprah style. You get one and you get one. Um, it, it was just really shocking how, how differently their approach to the game plan, which they felt so confident in, went, went so, so poorly bad. I don't know how you could say there's anyone, any quarter or duo better at the ACC so far this year. Now, they'll probably get a rematch with, 
the the second yeah, best this we'll year, see. and yeah. we'll see how that ultimately plays out in round two. But I mean, so far, yeah, I mean, they've hit all the right notes on both sides of the ball. I mean, a couple of stats. I mean, just to put a finer point on this, North Carolina was outscored opponents by 133 points in the fourth quarter under Mac Brown, the best in the nation by 49 points. Sam Howell, <laughs> 1,430 yards on 66.2% passing with 17 TDs and no picks. He did complete six nine passes, but I don't think one went for longer than 11 yards, finished with 36 total passing yards in the fourth quarter, 20 yards, uh, I believe, as an offense, including everything else, um, and zero points. And, and, you know, they come out and they score their first two drives today. And, Brandon, you were there for the Wake Forest game, dating back to Wake Forest game, excluding the game-winning kneel down. That was six straight touchdown drives, which you're, you're looking at this electric pace thinking, oh, my God, this is at another level. After that, they had eight drives? No, nine drives. Eight drives, I'm sorry. One field goal, uh, six punts, turnover on downs in the game. I mean, it was just like 100 to zero, just like that. And it was just incredible to, to kind of see that happen in real time. It was overwhelming. And, you know, uh, even again, they have gotten down, and they – I don't know if it was the fact that they were so close and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're one drive away. We're only down by seven points. But, you know, against Florida State, they're down, what, 31, 34 to 7 at halftime, and they come storming back and, right. basic, and basically three straight drops to end the game. So um, Virginia, I, I, too. I mean, they were never out of it. Exactly. They've, they've never been out of a game like this before. It has never been so smothering. And, and I think, you know, the tone from Sam Howell tonight was unlike a tone that we've seen from him at any point. It was, you know, usually if they fall short against Florida State, against Virginia, it's, you know, we didn't make enough plays in the end. Um, but tonight it was – you know, Notre Dame outplayed us. Notre Dame was more physical than us. Notre Dame prevented us from getting in our rhythm. Um, it was giving much more credence and deference to how well Notre Dame played um, as compared to, to strictly blaming it on themselves for miscues or whatever it may be. That was nine drives, by the way, at the end of the game. So seven punts, one field goal, one turnover on downs. Nine start, drives on a touchdown, which is just incredible. After They averaged 3.1 yards per play in the second half. I mean, it's like that's insane uh, for an offense that was, you know, over seven, right? Exact same rushing average as Notre Dame coming into the game, 264. They finished with 2.9 yards per carry today. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, Brendan, I want to ask you about this. I, I think I overheard you talking to Mac about this post-game, just sort of like a, a program measuring stick for North Carolina. So I guess what do you think North Carolina took away from tonight in terms of like, okay, if that's where we want to we go, this distance is maybe a little bit farther out than we thought based on how we played Clemson a year ago, which I think sort of gave North Carolina a sense of like, hey, you know, getting close, you know, maybe we're the up-and-comer in, the, in this league. Yeah, I mean, I think overall and, you know, overall, people forget, Mac Brown has been here for not even two seasons again. And before he took yeah. over – there could not have been a more apathetic fan base. Larry Fedora built it all up, and it all fell apart so fast. I mean, <laughs> two, I mean, Mac Brown inherited a team that was coming off two nine-loss seasons, and his starting quarterback, you know, previously starting quarterback, decided to flip to the other side of the ball. And you're going to give the keys to a true freshman who's 
six feet tall generously, um, a little bit hefty, and you're going to play him behind an offensive line that, that has basically one dependable starter, and you're going to see how it goes. So, again, I think the, the success that Sam Howell and this offense have had the past two years have has expedited in the minds of football writers and fans across the country the fact that this is still very much a rebuild. You know, Mac Brown is finally starting to sign five-star players. UNC started uh, three freshmen tonight. You know, five-star cornerback Tony Grimes, who was like their, their coup. He was their uh, gem in the recruiting class this year. They started five-star defensive end Des Evans, their, their first career starts. They've got to keep doing what they've been doing, but they just need more time. People, people thought that this was uh, something that, oh, God, Sam Howell's good enough that he's going to erase – all of the depth issues on defense. He's going to erase all of the special teams miscues. He's going to erase having practically no seniors on either side of the ball. That's not how it works. So I think from a North Carolina perspective, this is a program that's still ascending. They know that they're not there yet. I think they knew coming in that it would take, you know, a, a near perfect effort and a, and a mistake ridden effort from Notre Dame for them to win this game. And, and they're still on the same trajectory. Nothing has changed now. It's just maybe they need more time to build up that death. And, and those high-level defensive starters than they thought they had. It's funny you say that. Pete and I were, were having a mini-debate coming into this about whether this was a disappointing season already for North Carolina or not. And I couldn't bring myself there yet. I thought them being ranked number five at one point was the biggest sham in the history of the polls just because half the country had even played that. <laughs> and they obviously got exposed against Florida State in that regard. But I couldn't get too hard on a team having two losses, knowing where they were two years ago. I mean, I think – the recruiting hype is what really contributed. The recruiting hype, the brand name, the Hall of Fame coach name, you know, created this kind of perfect cocktail of, of being overrated, if you will. But I, I just, I think they're, they've got a ways to go, but they're on their way there. I wouldn't judge them too harshly on a three-loss season so far. Bigger question, Notre Dame next week plays Syracuse. North Carolina next week plays Western Carolina. I don't know who has the tougher game. I do know that Western Carolina just started their season on November 14th. And after North Carolina, they don't play again until February 20th. So they really got to put all their eggs in the basket here. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I feel very sorry for the Catamounts. I'll just say that. I'll leave it there. <laughs> and, I feel and, worse for Dino Babers, to be honest. They're down to like 50-something players, I think. <laughs> I, I, Syracuse has got a lot going on, on in college football and college basketball, right? Yes, now. they do. Jim Beheim did exactly. Mm. Uh, so, cover himself um, in glory to that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think the more telling thing for North Carolina, like at this point, you know, Pete, if, if Notre Dame doesn't win against Clemson in the rematch in Charlotte – I don't think that is going to be – unless it's an incredibly lopsided blowout. That's not going to change your perception of this team. It's not going to change your perception of Book or any of these guys. For North Carolina, I think a much more accurate measuring stick is in two weeks when they go to, when they go to Miami. I think that's a program that's much more in their sort of caliber in the ACC. Like, you're not at the Clemson and for one year Notre Dame level, but, but are you in the Miami level? Are you better than that? Are you in the next best tier? So – um, if they perform the same way, which I wouldn't expect them to against the Miami defense that is a million miles away uh, from what Notre Dame's is, I, I would be a little bit more surprised. But, yeah, I think that's going to be a better real test of where they're at. Matt, that's, I was curious your opinion on this because being here and watching the game, I felt like for a game that it was tied at halftime and North Carolina is good but not great, I feel like Notre Dame helped its case as the – second ACC team in if they lose to Clemson I think they helped their case is like the number two team in the country did you did you feel that way watching it yeah I mean they definitely didn't hurt it that's for sure I think if anything um they help it because 
nothing else is on. You got Fowler, Herb Street doing it. Like it's kind of like a game everyone watched. You know, like LeBron James is tweeting at Kyron Williams now. I mean, like Notre Dame suddenly has some like cool buzz, which is not really a Notre Dame thing. Well, more than that, I mean, you just held one of the most electric offices of the country to its lowest point total in two years, and you did it without your best player on defense. That to yeah. me is what's more validating than anything else. We knew what Ian Book could do. We knew what this running game could do. Um, Pete obviously didn't know that Ben Skrana could run a jet sweep uh, for a long year <laughs> touchdown, but we learned that today too. So um, it did, no way, shape, or form did it hurt it. Um, if anything, it only helped it. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, we all know where this conversation's going. Um, back to the state of North Carolina on December 19th. Clemson presumably wins out. Notre Dame beats Syracuse and Wake Forest if that game even gets played. And that's that's that. I mean, I think to Brendan's point, unless Notre Dame gets blown off the field by Clemson and then they're in real danger of missing the playoff with one loss because it was such a bad loss. Um, I, I, I don't. Or Alabama loses. That's the other sort of trap. Door. Yeah, that, that would mix things up with the Notre Dame loss as well. But I just, maybe it's being in a conference. I just don't, everyone's not <laughs> a referendum on them the way it is when you're an independent. And we, yeah, I was thinking this today, right? Like Pete and I have said, like, I don't, I'm curious to hear Brendan's thoughts on this. To me, like being at a conference this year hurts Notre Dame because like the only thing that could come out of December 19th is you missing the playoff. Like you probably still make it, but you're already, if you're not playing that game, you're already in because you're undefeated going into that weekend and you're done. Whereas if they lost today, Brian Kelly's going to come out first thing and say, well, all of our goals are still in front of us. You know, we went out, we'll be in the championship game. Mm-hmm. If we beat Clemson again, we're going to be in the playoff. So uh, I, I think that, I hate to call it a mulligan, but because you have that um, that that counter, if you will, um, every week's just not this. All right, it was a failure of a season. Like they lose at Georgia last year, and all right, what are we playing for here? You know what I mean? Like they're out. They were never going to play their way back into the playoff picture last year uh, after losing by six points on the road to a top five team. That's just the nature of being an independent. Yeah, I mean, if I think about it from the from the reverse perspective, like if they had if they had lost the first matchup with Clemson. Um, again, like you said, Matt, they still have, you still have your goals in front of you. You know, you go out, you went out, you get another opportunity. So um, I think I think in this this specific college football season where a game could get canceled at any time, you have no idea, you know, a team like Wisconsin is not going to get to play in its conference championship. I, I do think that in that respect, being able to have, have that, you know, you had a loss in your back pocket. Um, and I think not needing to use that is terrific, but the fact that they had it, I think this particular season, because of the cancellations, because everything is so wonky, I do think it helps. Um, but yeah, lo- long term, if it's a year-on-year basis, uh, love Notre Dame, but I, I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I love Chapel Hill, uh, but in normal circumstances, I would be in Manhattan Beach right now in California covering. You know, maybe the wrap up of, of Notre Dame USC. So I'm, you'll have to I'm settle a, for I'm Pasadena for on New Year's yeah. Eve. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> Notre Dame coming through the clutch there, sending uh, sending the beat media to California in dis- despite the pandemic. So we're all we're all for that and very very grateful on the Notre Dame beat for such things. So um, yeah, Matt. Unless you got anything else, uh, I, there's a clock tower banging outside, and uh, our Zoom meeting is about to wrap up. So I, I'll give you the final thoughts, Brendan. Where do you see Clark Lee coaching at this time next year? <laughs> oh boy, um, can he, can he? You know, if Mac Brown retires, can he come take this job? <laughs> I, I, w- I will say this one last thing. Um, I'd be interested to know, Matt, because you talked to him this week. 
given given what happened today, given some of the play calling and, and not rising to the mantle like that, how, how do you feel long-term about Phil Longo's coaching prospects? Beyond, well, it's, beyond it's his current prospects. That was like a popular comment on, on the story I wrote this week. Um, I think part of this is going to depend on like what happens with Mac Brown, right? Like, is he going to retire very soon and just kind of restore this program and right off into the sunset, or is he going to stick around forever? Uh, because I would like to think if Mac Brown stabilizes this and gets this thing rolling to where it's sustainable, you could theoretically promote from within a few years down the road. The thing with Longo is he's been in so many odd locales that you forget he was the office coordinator at an SEC team that beat Alabama multiple times. Uh, and he had amazing players on that team, you know, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, you name it. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I, look, he's a really good coach. I think he'll have some options, but I, I was there last year on uh, Wednesday afternoon. I go into his office. These guys like eight year old daughter on his lap, just hanging out. Like you don't get that at a lot of places. You know, you don't get a boss like Matt Brown. You don't get a town like Chapel Hill. Um, frankly, you don't get a league like the ACC where outside of the you know, two opponents this year and one opponent in normal years, you, you know, you, you can pretty much sleep well seven days a week. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't get the sense that he's in a rush to leave anywhere. I think he's got a great setup where he is now. Uh, but you never know if the right head coaching job opens somewhere else. Um, you know, th- that could always you know, make you uh, rethink things. Yeah, I guess we'll see if Clark Lee turns that down first. So, uh, <laughs> the North Carolina OC job, yeah, we'll yeah, see. It could be. It's, I mean, it was a like it was a fascinating chess match tonight between the two staffs. I mean, Notre Dame had more material going into it, but I think you know probably we would agree the the game plan also shined through too. So it was. I don't know if the game was exactly as we thought it was going to. Certainly not uh, after the first two possessions, but it was entertaining nonetheless. Um, as Notre Dame comes out. 31-17 victors over North Carolina heading uh, with one foot in the ACC championship game now. Brendan, thanks for joining the show. Matt, as always, I guess I can thank you for being with us, but it's your job it's to come on the show. show. Well, no, uh, I did survive cooking Thanksgiving dinner, which oh, I yeah, know the, the Twitter commenters were really worried about. Yeah, I, I was waiting, but... Completely destroyed the turkey that I was attempting to roast for the first time, but uh, live and learn. Uh, not 2020. It's been a year. So, Brendan, thanks for being with us. Matt, We'll be back next week uh, with a follow-up episode of the Shamrock. Hoping to have a, a special guest. We'll see if that pans out. So until then, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the Shamrock. Mm-hmm.